Thanks, Trey. Okay, so a year ago, I went on a, uh, a grand adventure, I guess you could say. I won't say epic, because that word is trite and overused. But uh, I turned 40 last year, so I'm, I guess I'm officially old. I feel like 40 is when you begin to, uh, begin to get a little older in life, a little more wisdom under your belt. So I wanted to do something like epic and kind of memorable, uh, not just like a lot of my friends are turning 40, so it's a lot of like trips to Cancun and daiquiris and that kind of thing, which is fine. I wanted to do something a little bit more um, memorable, maybe more meaningful as a word. So I chose to hike the Camino de Santiago, which is a 1,200-year-old historic Christian pilgrimage, 500 miles across northern Spain. Uh, it's quite the, quite the journey. And so pilgrims have been walking this path for 1,200 years. The story is wild. In 814 AD, this hermit named Pelagius is like doing what hermits do, wandering around the wilderness. He sees this sort of shower of lights multiple nights in a row, and he goes to investigate, and uh, then he goes to the church and says, hey, I saw this thing. You guys might want to check it out. It feels spiritual of some kind, of some nature. And the church comes out, and they, they pull back this brush, and there's like this crypt, and there's three bodies inside, and there's some inscriptions. And basically, they determine this is the, uh, this is the tomb of the apostle James, because tradition had always held that once James left Jesus, he went to the Iberian Peninsula to help spread Christianity. So they, they surmised that it was him and two of, his, uh, two of his disciples. And so the church uh, is very excited. So, of course, they build a little chapel there. Uh, and then over time, people begin pilgrimaging to this specific spot, the, the, the resting spot of the Apostle James. And so, um, and so as time went on, they built a, not just a church, but a massive sort of grand cathedral. And, uh, and then throughout the medieval, the medieval ages, it became essentially kind of the third most popular pilgrimage in Christendom behind uh, Rome and Jerusalem. And so, uh, so today, people still walk this, this thing. As a matter of fact, this, uh, in 2022, about half a million pilgrims from all over the world will walk the Camino de Santiago, which the translation of that, by the way, is the way of St. James. And so today, people walk this for all kinds of reasons. You know, years ago, people were walking to find salvation and they could get a blessing and kind of punch their card to heaven. But today, all kinds of people walk it. Uh, Christians, non-Christians, people of faith and no faith at all from all different continents. Um, and it's this really, really beautiful journey. You, you, uh, at some point, you're crossing mountains. You're walking through pastures. There's moments you look around and there's no, no one for as far as the eye can see. Other times you're walking with other pilgrims and making small talk. Um, you're moving through entire like weather systems in some days. Some days it pours down rain and you don't have an umbrella. You just you don't stop. You just keep on walking. Um, and so I did this a year ago for about, it takes about a month to walk the 500 miles. I compressed mine because I cycled a little bit. Um, but basically you have six to eight hours a day of, of walking in silence, which I don't know if, like, none of us have this. Unstructured, quiet time, six to eight hours is, like, unheard of this day and age. So you have plenty of time to do all the things. Like, you can contemplate, meditate, pray, talk to yourself, whatever you want to do. Um, and I did this a lot. I did a lot of, like, contemplation, thinking about life. For me, this trip was like, I'm 40. I'm a grown man now. i got to figure life out because, whew, you know, the clock is ticking. Um, a lot of chatting with other pilgrims, folks from all over the world. Um, I've done two Caminos since then. I've gone back to Spain twice. Uh, this past trip, I hung out with a guy named Michael from Italy, and through broken English, uh, we had like an hour-long conversation with his life in Italy and all the things he's experienced. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, a lot of silence, a lot of uh, a lot of silence and chit chat. But also, of course, you listen to music, you listen to podcasts, audio books. And so one day, about about three weeks into the journey, I'm listening to this book by a guy named Derek Sivers, and um, it's kind of a, a little book of just wisdom and sort of pithy quotes and things. So he he's uh, in one chapter, he's sort of going on opining about life, the meaning of life, transitioning in different seasons of life. And this quote, he says this quote as I'm walking through the wilderness of Spain. I literally stop, and it's one of these moments for me. I, you know, instead of writing it, I like get out my phone and type the quote down. I don't want to let it get away. So simple. You built that boat to cross that river, so leave it there. Don't drag it along with you. <laughs> you built that boat to cross that river, leave it there. Don't drag it along with you. And I thought, that's it. That's the piece. That's the little mental framework that I've been missing to help make sense um, of so much of my spirituality. This thing that served me so well for so long, this version of Christianity that, that was this thing that got me across that river, it did a good job for a while, and then it, and then it stopped being that for me. And I felt like I'd been dragging it around and pulling it behind me, and for the first time I had this sense of freedom of like, it's okay to let, let that thing go, let that conception of faith go. So I'm going to unpack that more in just a little bit. But uh, my name is BT Harmon. I'm 40 years old. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I am so happy and excited to be here. ANC is such a special church. Um, I get uh, emails because of my blog and podcast called Blue Baby Spink of people always email, where can I find a, an affirming church in this city or that city? And usually I'm like speechless. But if they ever say Austin, I'm like, I got the spot for you. This is the spot. It's awesome. Um, I have an amazing husband named Brett who's down here on the front row. Uh, we both grew up. We were a small town Alabama kids. That's just got us kind of how we roll. My dad uh, was a Southern Baptist pastor growing up, and uh, I'm a preacher's kid. I had a pretty good experience with church, big Southern Baptist church, two, 3,000 members. Um, and being a closeted, very frightened gay child <laughs> for many years, I, I didn't have a terrible experience with church. I, I loved church church in a lot of ways. Love the people there. Love the activities. Youth group for me. I was a big youth group kid and singing tours and choirs and drama team and music videos. We would like do low-key dancing on stage to these Christian Stephen Curtis Chapman songs. <laughs> you guys, some of y'all remember, yeah. I went, to a, I went to a Christian high school, small state school, university. It was very conservative in many ways. Um, but for me, as a closet, I just thought there's no way, it's, it's impossible to be gay and Christian. These are two Venn diagrams that have no overlap. It's not a thing that happens. If you give in to being gay, BT, you're done, you're going to hell, you're losing your friends, and your mom will never talk to you again. These are the thoughts that, that kept me up at night. Highly toxic, by the way. Uh, so, so I decided, all right, I'm going to be single and celibate for the rest of my life. This is the only way I can exist in this world and keep God happy. And so that's what I did through my 20s, all through college, no dating. I was just like end of campus ministry and my fraternity. Um, I graduated college in 05, worked with, got on board with a startup. I was one of three employees at this tiny little startup that did elementary school fundraising, which is so such a strange niche thing looking back. Uh, so I just became a workaholic. That was like my primary coping mechanism was let me just work myself to death, make as much money as I can, keep moving at such a pace that I never have to slow down and think about the challenges of life and just keep moving. And so uh, that worked for a while, but as, as you get older in your 20s, folks start uh, you know, getting married, they start having children. I had this really robust social life, but then people got married and they wouldn't hang out as much. And as my 20s went on, I began to just, uh, that sense of despair and loneliness inside of me 
it just grew. And keep in mind, at this point, I'm, I'm walking with God, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, all these things are happening. Um, but I began to have the sense of like, BT, you're seeing your friends sort of matriculate into normal life, right? Having, you know, getting married, having kids, moving along these milestones, that'll never be for you. That'll never be for you, BT. So you get over it, suck it up, and press on was sort of my mentality. Um, and that, again, that coping strategy worked for a while until it didn't. Late 20s, it kind of began to crack. Um, the anxiety in me began to grow at such a great pace. It became alarming. I took two trips to the hospital with like uh, stroke-like conditions at one point, a heart, you know, other time I felt like I was having a heart attack with like numbness in my arms, this sort of amnesia. I would, I would, the CFO of our office, uh, of my company walked into my office one day and I couldn't remember his name. And I had to look at him and be like, I literally said, I was like, what was your name again? <laughs> And that's, you know, and that's, for those of you who have studied anxiety, that's when you know that um, things are beginning to get intense. And so um, I had never allowed myself to consider, BT, maybe this idea you have about sexuality, maybe it's, maybe it's not right. Maybe you need to reevaluate that. Um, but I never allowed myself to, uh, to do that until I got to this point where it felt like my faith journey, as I had been progressing closer to Christ doing all the right things, it felt like my sense of freedom was increasing and uh, joy in life and my confidence. But in this one particular area, the opposite was happening. It's like the more I do what God wants me to do and following this path of singleness and celibacy, it feels like my soul is dying. It is atrophying uh, in real time. And so uh, it was my late 20s or early 30s, I forget exactly when, when I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do the the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on a dating app. I'm going to try to go on a date and see what this feels like with a guy. At this point, I'd be coming out to some close friends and family, but had never officially let myself date. And so I went on a date. I went on more dates, lots of swiping. Uh, I then was, my soul was then recrushed from the horrible online dating scene, <laughs> which uh, was a, a whole new channel of sadness I got to experience. <laughs> and it's like, yay, we're trading like one anxiety for another. But Big, uh, big kudos for those of you who are still tolerating that, but um, good luck to you. So in 2015, I met a guy. Yeah, I, seriously, I have so much compassion for my friends who are still on those dreaded apps. Um, so 2015, I, met, I, I, I swiped on a guy. He was very handsome. He was standing in Bryant-Denny Stadium, which is, for those who don't know, it's the Alabama football stadium, which is like my team. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this attractive dude, so good looking. He's a Bama fan. What on earth? This is crazy. And so I went on a date, and uh, first date didn't go great. We'll save that for another, another time I'm here. Uh, second date was awesome, and we've been together ever since. That was uh, late 2015. We got married in 2018. Okay, we'll receive that. There we go. Come on. Uh, and for me, like, finding, finding my person, finding love was just this um, tsunami-like um, restructuring of my inner life. So much of the fear and insecurity and the doubt that had just lived in me for my entire life just literally got washed away overnight. It's been the wildest thing. My mental health increased. That anxiety went down. And not to say that, you know, like finding someone fixes those problems, but for me, that sense of hiding and fear and, oh my gosh, I'm never going to find love, that all got washed away very quickly. And um, it's been really spectacular. So we've built a great life together uh, for, since 2018. Five-year anniversaries next year. Um, today we live in Atlanta. We have two cats. We have a garden. Um, big year for peppers at the at the Harmon House. Okra. We added okra to the mix. Okra is awesome. It just grows like crazy. It's great. And so sometimes, y'all, we have we have to pinch ourselves. I mean, the, the number of times Brett and I'll be sitting in the car and we will verbally just be like, "Can you can you believe this is our life? Like, we can't believe it. It's so joyful and so beautiful and um, being little." 
closeted gay kids from Alabama who never could have dreamed in our wildest dreams of a life like this, um, where we're surrounded by people who love us and a community and in a neighborhood that um, has a few rainbow flags scattered about, which helps. Um, it's just, it's spectacular. So, so that's where I am. And so life is so good and so beautiful. And um, I think we have a higher level of gratitude because of all the years of just abject hopelessness and believing that God hated us and that uh, you know, we were going to be in bed with shame the rest of our lives, and so it's been really great. So, with all that said, I ha- uh, the, the, the challenging side of all this is I find myself, as many of you do, I would suspect, in kind of a challenging place with faith, <laughs> in my relationship with faith. And I still get, um, I, I, did a, I did a blog earlier called Blue Babies Pink, I mentioned it, and podcasts, and so I'm in this space now. I put that podcast up there, it's still out in the internet ether, floating and squirming its way through the universe, and so literally this morning I got like a thousand word message from um, a young lady who just read it and discovered it. And so I get to hear all these stories. I've been invited to so many folks' stories, which has been really, really special. Um, so, but people ask me, look, so where are you with God? Are you and God still good? Are you like still a Christian, you know? And so I'm, I'm very clear, you know, I still consider myself a Jesus follower. Um, absolutely. I still find uh, Jesus utterly compelling particularly in, in antiquity, which I've also like begun research. I'm a big Roman history guy. And so if I feel like if you want to really understand things in the Bible in a much deeper way, understand the context of which it happened, which is this Roman empire, which is wild. It's a thousand year thing of like violence and wars and emperors. It's crazy. Um, but the teachings of Jesus still blow my mind. They're so countercultural, particularly to that empire, which was an empire bent on power, amassing power. Uh, I mean, just look at the, if you just look at the emperors, I mean, the, the history of the Roman emperors is wild. People are always killing their family members to become emperor. It's like this emperor comes and he kills his wife and he kills two kids to protect his power. And then the nephew comes up and he kills the old guy. And it's like crazy. So all this stuff is happening. And you've got this guy wandering around the desert saying, love your enemies, forgive folks. Love is, you know, the highest calling, you know, totally counter to a lot of the, the things that are happening that day. First uh, Corinthians 13, y'all, I used to, this, this passage felt so cliche to me because I, I did so many churchy things for so long, and I became numb to it, and now at every wedding, when they, when they I used to roll my eyes when they would read First Corinthians 13, I was like, oh gosh, could you found something more creative than First Corinthians 13? But now, like, oh my gosh, I, every time they read it, I stop and I listen, and so I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes as I read it and just like, let this sit with you for a minute. you're watching online, you can close your eyes too. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. You can open your eyes. And so when I read something like that this day and age, I'm like, (laughs) I am still in on this. I am so in on this and the message that this has for humanity forever, um, particularly in the context of where we live. Uh, the way that Jesus, again, I feel like progressive loves talking about this, but it's just, it's just great. The way Jesus is so careful and kind to the outcasts and the freaks and the, 
those who have transgressed the moral mandates of the day. And then he spins around to the religious leaders, the guys with the suits on, and just levels them and calls them out and um, pushes them to the edges. Just the way that Jesus does that is just so remarkable. In a world that feels impossibly disorienting, because I have this theory that the older you get, the more you realize no one actually knows what they're doing. It's wild. When you're young, you have to believe that people know what they're doing or it'll make you, it'll make you like lose hope and be really scared. But as you get older, you're like, wow, no one actually knows. And there's all these crazy mysteries emerging every day. And I'm like, this is wild. Like, we, are, we think we, we know it all because we have cell phones. And I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> we are still pr- utterly primitive. A thousand years from now, we are going to be viewed as as cavemen as primitives it's really true and so to me that's exciting that's like cool this is great um but in in all of this change and the disorientation the fact that there is this man who did this thing 2,000 years ago and he had built this church and that church is still going and it's made a lot of mistakes but it is still moving and you know worming its way through the universe and it's going to be here long after I'm gone it's going to outlive me uh, infinitely so there's so many things that I, that I love about Jesus that keep me engaged with this faith and, and, and with my faith. But of course, the flip side of all that, there are things that are impossibly discouraging. This religious system we've constructed around Jesus, right? It's like, here's Jesus, and there's all this scaffolding of American evangelicalism we've built around him and his message. I was a 90s church kid, I think I said it earlier, but like the, I had all these heroes when I was in high school of like this guy who was a pastor and this guy wrote this book and this thing and there was oh the Christian music scene and it's like my gosh the number of those people who are now just wild and have like gone crazy or like fallen to scandal I mean it's I've lost count I used to keep track and I'm like it's no point you know so a lot of those heroes I had are no longer you know no longer involved um more recently right in the last few years this this incredibly discouraging merger of like Christianity and right-wing, you know, Christian nationalism and right-wing politics, um, the resurgence of Christian nationalism that we're seeing now, which is, uh, which is so scary. You know, and maybe the most painful of all is just the personal aspect of the fact that my husband and I, we cannot exist in most churches in America. We are not welcome. We can't go to a couple's Sunday school class in most evangelical churches because we're going to be looked, like, looked at like we're from another planet, right? I mean, there's a mega church in Atlanta that everyone loves very globally, and their policy is for, for LGBTQ folks, you can serve on the parking team and the greeting team. Which I'm like, wow, you gave us the greeting team. Awesome. We like, we're out of the parking lot. We're in the building. Cool. Um, but don't you dare ask to be in the children's ministry or doing anything else for that matter. And that's, that is the, their stated policy. If you call that church tomorrow, they'll tell you that. And so there's something for the LGBTQ folks here. There's something about that. Um, that is just completely discombobulating. You know, I, I exist in, in a world as a man of, gr- of many privileges, and I've often said I, I have had the, the opportunity to experience life with and without some privileges, right? Like I live as a closeted, straight, white, Protestant male who's kind of tall and can speak pretty good in front of groups. Like you're, you're at the, you know, in America, that's like, you know, a lot of privilege exists at that space. But then once I came out and said I'm a gay person, I'm not quite like the rest of you, um, I got to see and feel what that felt like to come down some notches and to feel um, the, that exclusion and the pain of that and the sort of the low, dull hum of the trauma that comes along with that. And so it's left me cold. So all of this has been very, very discombobulating. I get mad at myself because I have this conversation like, BT, just move on. 
just move on from that old system and those, like just stop thinking about it. Like, why do you still follow what the Southern Baptist Convention is voting on at their meeting in June? Like, why do you care? You, this is not, these are not your people. You're not still going to those churches. Like, move on and ignore it. But the reason that's not so easy is because for many of us, evangelicalism asked us to root our entire lives and identities in this structure. And then the minute we transgressed that structure, we were shown the door. But we're still kind of connected and rooted in that in many ways. So if any of you feel that way, you're in good company. So I think a lot of us uh, feel stuck. One where we used to belong, one where the answers were very easy. I love the old, the old system of, man, good guys and bad guys. We're the good guys. Those are the bad guys. We just don't want to do anything to support the bad guys. Uh, I remember so well being so confident in my faith. I think like the peak of my confidence was maybe like junior, senior year of college. I'm in campus ministry. I'm, I'm 21, 21 years old, so I've got the answers. I'm being discipled by this guy in the campus ministry. I'm discipling. I've got my disciples. This was the model, discipleship model, which is not, not terrible. Um, but, boy, there were a specific set of teachers we, we learned from. We had John Piper. We had Mark Driscoll. We had John MacArthur. These were the guys. These were the guys. If you, if you started listening to Andy Stanley, I remember. I remember like being sort of like quietly disciplined. I'll be T. Andy. We don't know about Andy. We think he might be liberal. We're not sure. Um, he's an exposit. He's not an expository preacher, and we have to expository is the way that the way that it's supposed to be. And so, looking back, it's hilarious. I'm like, isn't it wild? Isn't it wild? And my the peak of my confidence in my faith. It's like I looked around at all the teachers I was following. They all look just like me. All right, they're all uh, middle-aged, you know, white men in living in America. They all speak my language. Um, they all are kind of cut from the same cloth and. They're the ones that get to have and define what orthodoxy is. This is orthodoxy. And the orthodoxy, that's the, the true version of Christianity. And so, you know, and so I remember having this revelation of like, oh, wow, isn't it crazy that all, uh, all the orthodox people look and sound and talk and just like me. Um, and, you know, we laugh about this today, but uh, it, it was, it, certainty feels very good. And we've, I'm sure you've talked about this here at ANC. And uncertainty is hard. Nuance is hard. Gray is hard. And so I get why that system has experienced a lot of growth and, uh, over the years because when you're selling certainty, it's a, it's a good product. Um, you built that boat to cross the river, so leave it there. So um, my belief now is, to, to move on, I believe that God is doing a new thing. I watched last week's sermon. Jason, I think you said that. There's a new thing coming. I totally agree. I think that over the years, uh, Christianity has evolved. It's changed. It's shifted. It's been the way of the faith since day one. And the critics will say, well, no, 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 BT, this is a slippery slope. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. But the way that he operates in this world is not. It changes, and that makes sense, right? Five-year-old BT is the same person as 40-year-old BT, who's going to be the same person as 80-year-old BT. The DNA is the same. But the way five-year-old me and 40-year-old me moves through the world looks completely different. This is not, this is not a hard kind of concept to understand. So, um, so I think there's a new thing coming. I think that we're at the dawn of it. Maybe it's kind of the beginning. We can't really see it. And uh, it's on the horizon. And it's going to be really, really beautiful. And so um, the frustrating thing here is we don't know when that thing is going to emerge, right? Maybe when this old system begins to fade in something new and beautiful that's inclusive, um, that is l- leading us love and grace and forgiveness, um, we don't know when it's going to fully manifest and sort of sweep the nation or sweep the world in some way. And so, um, my, I want to, for the last couple of minutes, five thoughts, just five quick thoughts about 
what we can do. For those of us who have that belief that, that God is doing a new thing and that we are, while we're waiting, we also want to be active to help bring that new thing in. Uh, these are just five thoughts I've kind of been noodling on over the last couple of years. Um, some of them are encouragements and things like that. Number one is uh, stop mocking the old thing and begin moving towards non-judgmentalism. There is this essence of, of mockery that exists, particularly in, in both progressive and uh, conservative spaces. Uh, Matthew 7, I, I mean, it's just one of these verses we've heard a thousand times, but it's worth revisiting. Jesus, his words, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your eye? You hypocrite. Take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see uh, clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is, a great ver- this is a great passage for all of us, right? Particularly those of us who feel like we've come out of a broken system and, boy, we found a new, better, cooler, more loving thing, right? Uh, it feels like to me, it's like a lot of times in this sort of ex-evangelical space, which is a term that I've heard, I don't like to use it, but it's like we're a bunch of beat-up war veterans. We fought in this war, and, you know, bah, we were a part of it. We're on the same team, and now we're kind of over here, and there's like bullet holes in our jackets, and we're sort of sitting around like drinking our coffee like a bunch of old war veterans, you know, and we're commiserating about the war, and we're trashing the enemy and the terrible things they did. We're angry at the old system, and I have so, so much empathy for being angry at the things that many of us experienced I have, have my own anger and have walked through that. Um, but my friends, I, the us versus them is just, it's, we know it doesn't work. We've done it. We've all lived some of that story and, and repeating that and rebuilding that us versus them system is not healthy. And so uh, I use the word, I'm using the word non-judgmentalism a lot, which is not a word I'm hearing sort of in Christian spaces, but it's something I'm aspiring to, to do because I, I am naturally very judgmental and humans are judgmental machines. We love judging everybody else because it makes us feel better. Um, one thing I'm, I'm trying to stop social media, I'm to stop following social media accounts that are like have this mocking tone towards conservative, you know, evangelical types. They're all out there. We've seen them. I try to, to stop. I've tried to stop uh, listening to some of that. There's this blessing by a poet named John O'Donohue, and he says, stay clear of those vexed in spirit. Become inclined to watch the way of the rain. <laughs> stay clear of those vexed in spirit become inclined to watch the way of the rain. So I'm trying to reorient my life on a BT instead of just living in this space with all these folks who are vexed in spirit, like, let's watch the rain. Let's stop. Let's contemplate. Let's think. Let's ponder. Stan Mitchell, last week, if you, if you were here, I watched online, I took notes. He said, Phariseeism is about an attitude that says, I'm right and you're an idiot. It's so true, right? And so I do think we multiply the spirit of Phariseeism in progressive spaces when we have that attitude, and it's just not okay. And so um, non-judgmentalism is what I'm striving for. I don't say I'm, I'm a non-judgmental person because I am still judgmental, but I'm working towards becoming more non-judgmental and not openly mocking. I think it's okay to criticize the old system. It's okay to lament the old system, but this kind of loud mocking thing is, needs to go away. Number two, we must let go of the compulsive need to change people's minds. Hardest lesson for me. It's taken me so long to learn this. For me, it's a compulsion. Um, There's this quote that I love and hate, and we've heard it many times. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Right? Oh, boy, we love this quote. I love this quote in some ways. It's great. Yes. Yeah. we got to stand up. 
But boy, the flip side of it, the dark side of it, is it makes us feel like we've got to speak up every time we see something. It's on us. It's on us. You know the anxiety that so many of us are carrying because we constantly feel like it is up on us to right every wrong and to correct every misstatement and every bad uh, thing. And it's like, y'all, this, that is not your job. Yes, go vote. Yes, be an activist. Yes, speak up. But release yourself of this pressure to constantly be policing everything around you, no matter what the context is. It's just not my responsibility to fix. I cannot crawl inside someone's head and rewire the things in their brain. And so I'm just going to stop trying to do that. Let it be. You can just let it be. That Facebook post, that you can just, you can just scroll on past it. You can just let it be. Took me pff, so many years. Number three, get obsessed again with grace, forgiveness, and love. Um, there's this weird thing on the super right-wing Christian crowd and the super left-wing Christian crowd. They don't actually practice grace, forgiveness, and love, in my opinion. It's that horseshoe model where they both kind of converge at this same dark spot. Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, this is wild. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. What a bizarre and strange piece of ancient wisdom. That <laughs> The fact that they let that go to print, I'm like, you know, it's like... Nobody wants to consider others better than themselves. What are you talking about? Each of you should look not, to your, not only to your own interest, but to the interests of others. Colossians 3, bear with each other. Bear with your jerk neighbor, your jerk friend. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as God forgave you. John 13, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, people know you're my disciples, not by, you know, these other things we've put up. Grace, forgiveness, and love. We've got to like recommit, double down to those truths, and we've got to actually work to live them out as much as we can. Number four, build and engage in a deep and primitive faith community. I'm, love, I'm loving the word primitive right now. It's like I'm using it for everything, but Acts 4, believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed they had any of their own possessions of their own. They shared everything they had. This, the socialists love this kind of verse. Um, but ANC, this is it. What an opportunity you have to create, build, engage with a, a primitive uh, community. I use the word primitive because, boy, we built this massive ch- uh, commercial churchy system. We've got Christian music and Christian publishing and big conferences and smoke and lights and mirrors and, you know, all the things. And I'm like, man, we need to get primitive. You're right. We need to, like, get back to, like, casseroles. You bring in casseroles to, like, you know, the grandmas. Uh, Brett and I, we, have a, we had the garden I mentioned. I mean, we just, this year, it was like, we're going to bag up vegetables and bring them to people. Show up at the door seven. It's like, here's a bag of bell peppers and okra. And, like, that's our way. It's like, I, I want to be primitive, you know? Like, sitting around fire pits and having conversations and smoking, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, um, I think that's what we need to create, and I think you have, the, this is the platform, this building, this space, this community is the platform to begin building these primitive communities, which I think people are longing for. I think there's actually a backlash coming against all things, uh, this tech-obsessed system we've created. I think there's a cultural backlash coming, and it's going to manifest in some strange ways, but one of it is people are going to crave primitive communities where we're going to be human and have real conversations and sit around table and break bread and do all those old-school things that, that have been universal. And then finally, uh, let yourself dream about the new thing. Let yourself dream about this new thing that's coming. Isaiah 43, we heard it, you know, back in the day many times, but I, it, and the context is odd, but I think, it's, I think it works. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Don't you perceive it? I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So imagine a day when this new thing God is doing is fully realized. This, is gonna, this may be weird, but I have this new obsession with uh, Haley's Comet. 
Haley's Comet comes around every 76 years. It came around, I think, in 1997. I remember watching it on my back porch. The next time it's coming is 2061, which I, I was born in 1981. So I'm going to be an 80-year-old man when Haley's Comet is coming back through the sky, which I feel like when you start talking about comets in the pulpit, it's like you're on very, very thin ice. This feels weird. But hang with me. I'm not getting weird. I have, a, have this countdown app in my phone, and it's like counting down to, to Haley's Comet. But I love it. It's because it's, like it's like this point in time where I'm like, I think I'm going to live till 80. We don't know. Could die today. But it's like I'm, we're trying to live till 80 here, you know? And so I love it. It's so motivating to have like, and so I imagine, I have this little sort of mental practice where I imagine Brett and I as old gay men in wheelchairs, you know, and we're sitting somewhere, and we're like gazing up at Haley's Comet, and we're, but we're looking back on a beautiful life, and I try to imagine, like, what life have we lived when we're 80? You know, were there kids? I don't know. Were, you know, have we built businesses? Have we loved each other well? Have we loved our families? Have we engaged in, you know, these primitive communities? And so what happens is um, when we allow ourselves to do that, it actually is like this weird motivational fuel to imagine what a, what the, if the ideal version of the future comes true, what does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? And so I think this is actually healthy in faith spaces is to, though the present day can be very backbreaking and demoralizing with what's happening, let your mind, instead of dwelling, which many of us are dwellers and we noodle and we stew, let our minds instead redirect our minds to this vision of the future and to talk about and think about a church that exists globally. Maybe it's a church, you know, think about it locally at ANC, the church globally where everyone is loved <clears throat> where love and grace and truth beautifully commingle in community, where no one desires the church to be an instrument of the state, where the teachings of Jesus are deeply cherished, where members are in deep community, loving and supporting one another, where the members are serving the community in mass and being the light of Christ to folks, where inclusion is um, no longer argued about in the perpetual food fight of theological debates. And so I believe um, when we allow ourselves to think about that and to imagine that, um, then it becomes more real and it motivates us to be a part of bringing that to be. Uh, we can leave the old boat behind. We can move on from broken systems. The boat of evangelicalism <laughs> served many of us well, and I'm actually I'm thankful for it. I'm at that point in my life. But we can lay aside an old system that no longer does, and we can begin to look at the horizon for a new boat, and simultaneously, weirdly, we can begin building that new boat in tandem with the Holy Spirit and the work of God. And so um, maintain hope. I think that we have a lot of things to be hopeful and thankful for, and better things are coming. Thank you all so much.